Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Very, very potent verse. It simply says, love brotherly love continue. That's it. I'm going to read the second in case I get to it. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, take this service tonight and use it for your glory. We thank you for each one who's come. We pray that the emphasis of this word will sink into our hearts and bind us closer together as your children, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews has been to me a, a, a tremendous study. The hours that I've had to put in to get ready for these sermons has, has been unbelievable, but I think it's been worth it. A lot of it up to this point through the first 12 chapters have dealt with what we believe a real definite teaching of doctrine as to what we should know and believe as Christian people. And uh, he he then added to that an illustration of those people from the Old Testament, a whole slew of them who were saved because of their faith, and we went through those a couple of weeks ago. This evening now, and as he concludes the book of Hebrews... He seems to turn from doctrine to some very practical applications of our faith and gives us some some instructions. And the first one he gives deals with loving our brethren, loving each other. And he says, let brotherly love continue. Two things there I think we need to look at. One is brotherly love and the other is the word continue. What is brotherly love? Well, a philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell, whom some of you may have heard of, wrote an essay. The title of his essay is Why I Am Not a Christian. Obviously he was not one. And he was justifying himself, his position. And in his essay, he cited person after person after person in the church who says he or she is a Christian and in Bertrand Russell's mind were not. And he's saying because Bill Jones lives this way, I'm not a Christian. Because Sally Smith does that, I'm not a Christian. Because the preacher says thus and so, I'm not going to be a Christian. What was he doing? But looking at certain individuals and saying, because of the way they live, I'm not going to be saved. And when Bertram Russell gets to hell, 
where he surely will go unless he changes his theory, his belief. He's going to look up to God and say, God, I'm not a Christian because of the members of the Olive Branch Baptist Church or some other church, the way they lived. I'm not a Christian because of them. You blame them. And God's not going to blame us. For every man, woman, and child will make his own personal decision as to what he does with Jesus Christ. And he or she will go to hell on their own demerits, not upon mine or yours. But, that's a big word, but... Some people say that you and I are the only Bible that some people read. And that's true. You probably would not have difficulty in finding some of your friends and neighbors who have never opened this book in the last ten years. If ever. But they know what's in it. They say and they are judging what's in this book by what they see in you and in me. And so we become their Bible. And they say with Bertram Russell, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. And therefore, it places a tremendous obligation upon us who claim to be Christian to see to it that the Bible they read is accurate in relationship to what God wants it to say. Herein comes our problem. This is an awesome obligation. A tremendous obligation that we have. For fear that someone might actually be able to say, I'm not going to be a Christian because I don't like what Christians do and say. What a tragic indictment that is against us, supposedly the followers of Jesus Christ. Again, let me say, the Bible strictly teaches that everybody goes to heaven or hell on his own. What he does with Jesus Christ, not what I do or you do with Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, the Lord is expecting us to properly reflect him. And when the world looks at you and looks at me, they ought to be able to see the life of Christ relive. Evidence before them to the point that Bertram Russell ought to be able to say why I will become a Christian instead of why I won't become one. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Now there's some words in that that we need to, to notice. Let your light shine. Let your let you what you are shine forth. And what you do and what you say and what you are in fact be such that people will see you. See what you do and hear what you say, and as a result, give glory to God. Not pat us on the back. He didn't say that, did he? But give glory to God. You know, uh, when Moses went up to that mountain that we were talking about this morning and came back down with the Ten Commandments and spent some time up there, the people noted that he was aglow. His face was glowing. They took note that he'd been the presence of God. The story is told of a group of young people who spent all night in prayer. A good thing to do. When they came out the next morning from that prayer session, one of those young people said to D.L. Moody, that famous old preacher of years gone by, he said, see how our faces shine? D.L. Moody said, Moses didn't know his face was shining. Do you get the implication? Meaning that we don't see our good works. We don't see our light. Other people see our light. Because these young people had been in the service all night, the evidence should have been seen. Somebody else should have seen it, but he should not have said, my, look how I'm glowing. I've been in God's presence. I've been to church. Look how I glow. You might. But you ought to be told you're glowing. Don't tell somebody else to look and see if you are. Because the evidence will be there. If your light's shining, it will be seen. That's preliminary to really what I want to say. You know that just recently, in the last few days, there was a, a new bill went through our legislature called the Ethics Bill. I think it's an indictment against governments that there must be a piece of legislation that is prepared to, to tell our legislators how they ought to act. Don't you think that's rather strange that they've got to pass a piece of legislation to tell a person in the legislature how he ought to behave himself? You would think that ought to be self-evident, that a person ought to know how to behave. If he's elected to office, he ought to know to be honest. You don't have to pass a piece of legislation. Hey, you've got to be honest if you, go to, if you go to Charleston. That's one of the requirements. The law says I've got to be honest. The law says I can't take money under the table if I go to Charleston. Why would the law have to say that? Would that be self-evident? Listen, the same thing is true when it comes to Christian ethics. There is a self-evident mode of living that the Christian ought to engage in that is self-evident and nobody should be passing, having to pass laws and say, you've got to do it this way. Surely every Christian understands that if he is Christian that he's got to be honest, he's got to be upright, he's got to be moral, and he's got to go to church. 
It doesn't seem like it works that way. We need to know what we believe and then put what we believe into practice. And that's Christian ethics. Now then, getting to the point of the scripture. Somebody asked Jesus on one occasion, what was the greatest commandment to the greatest law? Jesus answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, or all thy strength with all thy mind. But he didn't stop there. He said, the second one is very like it. And thy neighbor as thyself. Now, they didn't ask for that one. But he gave it anyway. There's the Christian ethics. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But we're not to stop there. We are to love our neighbor as if our neighbor were ourself. That's Christian ethics. The word brotherly love has a meaning. It comes from a Greek, two Greek words, philio, which means tender affection, and adelphos, which means brother. And it's from that that we get Philadelphia. Philadelphios. Shortened to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The love of a brother with tender affection. Literally, it means coming from the same womb. So what is Jesus saying when he says, Thou shalt love God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself? I think he's saying this. That if you love God, you will automatically love your brother because you come from the same womb. Do you get the implication? The love of a fellow believer is automatic. It comes with the territory. It's born into one. Who hates his brother? He has to learn to do that. There is a natural tendency to love those who have come from the same womb. And there is a natural tendency for a Christian to love Christian for we have the same father. And he who does not love his brother, the scripture asks, how can he love God? Now, the verse says, let brotherly love continue. That means it had a beginning. The cause of that beginning is Christ. It's automatic. We talk a lot about byproducts. You know, there's lots of things that have come into being that are of tremendous value that actually were, were uh, was a byproduct. It was never, never intended. Antifreeze, for example. 
They didn't set out to invent antifreeze, to create antifreeze. That was a byproduct. It was a waste material at one time. So they discovered what it would do, and now it's of tremendous value. Lynn is taking a, a heart medicine. There's nothing wrong with her heart, whatever. But one of the byproducts of this particular medicine she's taking is that it breaks down the protein that is covering the cancer cells in her body so that the chemotherapy can get into the cancer cell. A byproduct that they discovered. That wasn't the intention of the medicine, but it's, but it's a side effect that it, that it takes place. The real intent of Jesus Christ coming into the world was to save you and me. But as a byproduct of that process, we love each other. You follow the line of thinking? Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There are three things that that verse says that God has given us. God has given us power, he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. But the emphasis that I want to make this evening is upon the word love. God has given us the capability and the, the well, the capability. Let me stop there. God has given us the capability of loving each other. It's there. 1 John 4, 16. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God for, and God in him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Let's read those words. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't say that. John said that. The very guy that uh, Fred read to us about this evening gave us a discussion of John the Apostle. Inspired by Jesus Christ himself, if a man say, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him. He who loveth God loveth his brother also. Now I think that makes it very plain. That if there is a person who says to another Christian, I hate you, that person is doomed for hell. Is not saved. Regardless of what church they belong to, nor what statement they make about their belief in Almighty God. You can't hate me and go to heaven. You can't hate your neighbor and go to heaven. Because God is love and he that dwells in you, if it is Jesus Christ, then instills love in the heart. <clears throat> Let me say three things now about the importance of this brotherly love. Number one, brotherly love, that is the love of one Christian for another, reveals our true identity. You want to know if a person's Christian or not? Just find out if he loves other Christian people. 
If there's some Christian person that he hates, he's a liar. We've already read that. Listen to John 13.35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. There's a way to know a Christian. Did you know that? I can tell you if you are a Christian by your answer to this question. Do you love every other Christian in this world? Every. Not leaving out one. Do you love every Christian in this world? By this shall men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Again, I didn't say it. That's the scripture. So, number one, our true identity comes to light. Secondly, our love of the brethren proves our salvation. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. He who does not love abides in death. And I think we could add there the two words that are not in the scripture, but I think the, the intent is certainly there. He who does not love his Christian brother abides in death. Thirdly, the importance of brotherly love is that it delights God. God is pleased with brotherly love. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's what God wants. God does not want dissension amongst brethren. I talked to you a little bit about the fact that certain groups pulled off and left and went and formed another, another body, which is fine as long as that's done with love in the heart. But listen, most churches divide and separate and form new groups with hate in mind, not love in mind. I cannot tell you of a church except one in my memory that agreed to separate because they wanted to spread the gospel. Every church wants to divide because they hate and they can't get along. That's why churches divide. And you think that God is going to be in that kind of an establishment? In the original church or in the new one when it was founded upon despising the other people in that same congregation? I can't believe that. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says this. Hereby perceive we love we hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love. 
the love that God had for this world when he gave his only begotten son and sent him down here to die for us? You think he did that out of hate? No, indeed, he did that because he loved us. And he says it's that same kind of love that ought to be in every one of us that would cause us to be willing to die for each other. Let me tell you, if I hate you, I'm not going to die for you. And I don't think you will me. It's not in us to do it that way. We'll only die for each other when we love to the uttermost. Verse 17. But whosoever hath this world's goods, he's got something in, in his possession, and sees his brother hath need, and shut up, shuts up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwells the love of God in him? Pretty good question, isn't it? Let me conclude. Hebrews 10.24 says this, and we already read this one some weeks back, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Well, we consider one another to provoke a lot of times is not unto love. What he says is let us consider one another to provoke unto love. You want to provoke me, do it with love. <coughs> Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What does that mean? Somebody has said it means don't pay attention to your own business, pay attention to somebody else's business. No, that's not what that means at all. It means put everybody else in front of you. It means there is nobody less important than you. You come first, I come last. It must be the same way all the time. The person who demonstrates real godly love is willing to put himself on the bottom is willing to push everybody else forward first, is the person who will allow the last life jacket to be given to somebody else and stay back because he loves. Who will suffer death if necessary that somebody else might live? That's love. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. It's the one that says, no, you go first. No, you take the honors. No, you go to the head of the table. No, you be respected. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to receive the respect. I'll sit in the background and encourage and push to get you honor and respect and love. The Christian who is saved by the love of God through Jesus Christ is the same Christian who automatically, because he has come out of the same womb, will love his brother and put him first and foremost and won't be jealous when he gets the credit 
and we take the back seat. Loving brothers is what we're all about. Whether we're in Turtle Creek or whether we're on the other side of the world. If we are saved, the love of God is in us. If the love of God is in us, it'll come out of us. And somebody else will be the recipient of it. And if you ever say, I hate you, the Bible says you're lost. If you mean it. Well, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you cannot love your brethren whom you have seen? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.